less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cashflow Contractor interview. What's up, Cashflow Contractors? So excited to share this episode with Chris Edwards for you. It's a little bit different than most of our interviews. You know, a lot of times when we're talking to contractors, we're telling their story from being employed to then self-employed to then, you know, becoming a manager and going through that evolution of a business owner that is starting in the trades and working their way into business. And this is a little bit of a flipped script. We've got Chris Edwards out in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and he has started a, or not started, he has purchased a flooring company. And it's really cool to see his journey from corporate finance to now becoming a contractor. And it's a completely different perspective. And he's an incredible uh, mind, an incredible financial person. And I think he's going to do a fantastic job. He already is doing a fantastic job as a contractor. So really unique conversation. Uh, it's going to help you to think about your business differently and approach it from more of the business finance side rather than the you know, tradesperson that's getting started in business and learning how to run an efficient business and maybe do some of the financial stuff. So hope that you enjoy it. Uh, and yeah, thanks for listening. Martin, what do you know about Colorado? Healthiest state in the United States, by far. Mm. Yeah, yeah why, do you, why do you say that? Uh, because they're just, well, I knew it, uh, <laughs> but I read an article in the last week, I think maybe in the Wall Street Journal, uh, obesity and things like that, rates. And anyway, Colorado's the opposite of that, partly because uh, native Coloradians have better genes, maybe, <laughs> but partly because people who are attracted to outdoor living, you know, whether you're rock climber, skier, bicyclist, trekker, whatever it is, people move there. So yeah, it's true. It, but, but it is, and you can see why. Yeah. Well, we've got, uh, we've got Chris Edwards with us and, uh, Chris, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's, uh, we, we've met each other for about two minutes total, so this should be really fun. Um, now we're, we're really happy to have you on and you're in Colorado. I, I mistake, mis mistook it as Northeastern Colorado, but you're in Northwestern. You're in steamboat. Is that right? Yep, Steamboat Springs. Yep. Awesome. And have you always been there? No, um, <clears throat> I grew up outside of Boulder, and okay. um, I went to college in Arizona in Tucson, and then I came back, lived in Boulder after college for a while, and then uh, moved to Denver with my fiance most recently, and then uh, about two years ago we packed up and uh, moved up to the mountains, and now we're in a Steamboat. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, that, that we've, we're going to get into that in a little bit, though, but you went through quite the transformation. I'd love to share with our listeners just a little bit where you're at today. Uh, you own a flooring company and a granite company. Why don't you share a little bit about those companies? Yeah, so I, I own one uh, company called Affordable Flooring Warehouse. Uh, I acquired that business about a year and a half ago. And then most recently, I purchased a 50% ownership of a sort of sister company called Granite House which is actually right next door and um, has a lot of um, has a lot of adjacent um, qualities that were really attractive to me. Um, it's got a lot of clientele overlap. Um, and so now I'm operating two businesses. Um, I'm acting as the de facto GM. Um, so, you know, from measuring carpet jobs through billing, through, you know, um, accounts payable, 
I'm kind of doing everything right now. So hopefully that changes over time. But right now <laughs> I'm uh, very much in the weeds and um, wearing a lot of different hats to make these two businesses go. Yeah, for sure. A lot of different hats is maybe an understatement. Um, but yeah, th there's a lot that happens as a, an operator. And you're not the typical operator that we've spoken to on this podcast. A lot of the time we're talking to people that are going through what we call the evolution of a business owner. And typically that goes from maybe employee to self-employed to finally becoming an, a manager of people and then becoming an owner that's able to step outside the business. And then maybe an investor that's able to use the cash flow to invest in other businesses, other uh, assets, and then maybe into an entrepreneur that starts, you know, multiple businesses and does the same thing over and over. And you've kind of approached it from a different trajectory. Uh, you started in corporate finance, is that correct? Yeah, so I started my career in corporate finance, FP&A. So uh, I've, I started out at a company called Zayo Group, which was a t uh, roll up of telecom assets at scale. Um, that ultimately led to, at the time, the biggest IPO in Colorado history. Um, so I, I was like a finance guy. Um, I was in spreadsheets all day long, um, thinking about value creation through acquisitions. Um, I was in investor relations. I was in product management for a stint. So I kind of did a lot of different things at that stop at Zayo. Um, and then from there, I moved to the consulting world and I worked at uh, Slalom Consulting for about a year and a half. And then I um, most recently was at Deloitte Consulting for almost two years. And um, and so, yeah, I, I come from a corporate background and in those two in those two consulting stints, it was more focused on technology. So I did uh, salesforce.com implementation projects. Um, and so I kind of have like that CRM, you know, business process type of uh, background. And um, then I, for better or worse, made a decision to jump into this crazy world. <laughs> yeah. Well, why, I'm sure why did you uh, decide to step away from the corporate side of things? Um, into the weeds of operations of being the man? Um, I think partly I'm a little bit out of my mind, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, so I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Um, my, my dad was an entrepreneur. He did startups. He didn't do what I did. Um, my mom was also a, a, had, had a, a, a corporate background. Then she went into entrepreneurship as well. And she actually sold her small business uh, about a year ago. Um, so there's that. Then there's also, you know, during the pandemic, you know, I was taking a look at my life. Um, I looked around at the people that I was working for, like the partners at Deloitte. And it wasn't really like a lifestyle or a trajectory that I was super excited about. You know, I could have stayed on the partner track. I could have had a really comfortable and nice life. I was doing well at Deloitte. <clears throat> um, you know, it was, a, it was a comfortable position and I liked what I was doing, all things considered, but I've always had entrepreneurial aspirations. And I think the pandemic probably gave me the kick in the butt that I needed to, you know, put up or shut up and um, go out and do it. Um, at the same time, I also stumbled onto this entrepreneurship through acquisition world of, uh, you know, the thesis being that you buy an existing business that's cash flow positive, that has momentum, that clearly has product market fit, um, that's doing something right. And then from there, you know, operate it, grow it. Um, so, 
that kind of came into my life. I did a lot of research and kind of um, thinking about whether that was a path that I wanted to go down. And so I came to the conclusion that I did want to go down that path. So I quit my job um, and I did a search for about three months until I found this business and um, ultimately you know, raised SBA debt, did the whole thing to close on it, buy it, and uh, been operating it ever since. Man, there's so much in there. Yeah, uh, there's a lot. <laughs> there, there's a lot in that in that short stint there. But no, the uh, as far as learning about the entrepreneurship through acquisition, where did you learn about that, and what was that process like? Was it over the course of years that you were following this, or you know, where, where were you first introduced to it? Um, it was actually probably right around like sort of peak pandemic time, like summer 2020, and. Um, you know, I found out about it through Twitter, honestly, just kind of stumbling across guys like Brent Bishore and Brandon Laffridge, um, uh, Rich, um, I forget his last name, Rich Jordan. Um, he, you know, he bought a plumbing business. Like, you, I just started hearing these like stories of young guys who were um, buying these small businesses that, you know, no one else apparently was really uh, attracted to um mm -hmm. and there's just a lot of opportunity when you when you start to get into like the lower range of like sde type of businesses um and so i kind of thought about would it would you would you define sde real quick yeah sorry uh, seller's discretionary earnings is basically the cash okay. flow of the business yeah. yeah um so and so i started to hear these stories i started to think about it you know, from my own perspective and background, you know, I come from that Zayo stint where I saw a lot of value get created through acquisitions. Um, you know, the thought of buying a small business for a low multiple, um, being able to raise SBA debt so I didn't have to bring a ton of cash to the table, um, and then be cash flow positive day one was a thesis and a story that really attracted me in my sort of like. FP&A, you know, type of brain. And um, so I just kind of read about it, read a lot of books about it, um, you know, thought about it from my own background, having been sort of exposed to small businesses through my parents and worked in small businesses in high school and middle school and college, and um, decided that I think given those sort of um, the, the mix of the skills that I had, that I, it was something I could pull off. Would you, uh, yeah. would you define FP&A for listeners to? Financial planning and analysis. So it's kind of like corporate, you know, um, right. forecasting of cash flow right. and, you know, really like, uh, I, you know, I, I would present presentations to our CEO of like, hey, here's what our product segment's gonna do. Here's what I forecast, here's why. So sort of like having that sort of uh, macro and also micro uh, financial planning um, and financial modeling skills. Yeah. You know, this is really fascinating. There's so much you've talked about. This could be three <laughs> hours, but um, I have clients who've done a number of acquisitions and we talk frequently about uh, financial engineering is too much. It, it's a little less than that, but a financial world where you create value through financial maneuvering, let's say, and operations where you create value by selling things at a margin and making a profit. 
How did your experience uh, in the financial side translate uh, to you running an operation and actually making a profit what a lot of our listeners would regard as a real profit? And they're both real, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, not honestly, not a lot of overlap. That was that was one thing that I had to learn. You know, I had to learn how to go out and sell a carpet job and make money doing it. You know, that was a, that was a gap in my skill set for sure. Um, I would say I probably learned more of like kind of sales through my consulting stint, where like I'm, you have to walk into a room and you have to command. Um, you have to command a certain level of respect and like, uh, and I would say competency that people want to pay you for your time, you know, and they want to listen to what you have to say about their own business, you know? So that sort of, those sort of, um, that sort of consulting skill set definitely helped me with the transition um, for these two businesses. It was also like, I got exposure to a lot of different businesses so that I, I was able to like not be overwhelmed day one on what I needed to know and what I didn't need to know, um, if that makes sense. So like with consulting, you have to take a micro or a macro picture, but you have to also understand like what you need to know and don't don't need to know. And um, that helped me not get overwhelmed and not get too bogged down in the details. Uh, But sales wise, like operations wise, I I had to learn. That was definitely something that like, I'm still learning, you know, it, it is yeah. not an easy thing to run a small business. And so it is, it, it took time. I was very, uh, stressed the first year. Now that I'm like a year and a half into it, I'm a little more comfortable, but, um, yeah, it, it's a steep learning curve to like go from some, something where you have a lot of security, a lot of, um, people supporting you to jumping into this entrepreneurial world where like it's sink or swim. And, I mean, you are you are responsible for your own hide, and uh, that that can be a pretty steep learning curve. It it is a steep learning curve, and it impacts you more than just in your profession, but also on a personal level. What were some of the personal transformations that you went through, coming out of, you know, this corporate life and corporate stable job to now having the stress of, you're the one that's responsible for anything and everything. What was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, it, it was really intense. It was really intense. Um, I mean, just if you think about it, you know, you have like my life was fairly tracked, right? Like I was in school. I went to, you know, I was in high school. I went to college. I did the corporate thing. Like it's very much like linear kind of like you're, you're on a safe path. As long as you don't bang into the walls too much, you'll be OK. Um, so you have to, for me, it was an exercise in faith. It was an exercise in, um, humility that, you know, I, I had to like, um, learn that I didn't know very much about this world. I had to, I had to grow. Um, I had to lean on my wife, you know, to like, (laughs) to really get through this. I mean, there were times where I came home and just like stared at the wall blankly because I was just so exhausted. I was so stressed, you know, it's like, what have I done with my life? Um, <laughs> so it was a, um, it was very much like a, um, a moment where I had to, um, I had to take a risk. I had to be comfortable with that risk and learn what, um, you know, learn that uh, getting outside that sort of tracked life um, 
can be about. And um, it was uh, it was extremely intense, but I'm glad I did it. Now that I'm kind of through the other side a little bit, I mean, I still have my days, but now that I'm uh, you know through the transition and I've seen the the, the cash flow play out, I've seen the P and L play out. Um, we've been able to create value. Now I I feel like um, I'm more comfortable. I'm more capable of doing something else um, in the future. So it was a uh, yeah, it was, it was a personal. It was the most per intense personal transformation I think I've ever gone through. Yeah, you know, you you uh, have used the word value a number of times here. Uh, a lot of contractors listening to us think in terms of profit, okay? But you're using the word value. I created value. We created value. Can you delve into that just a little bit? Because that's an important uh, distinction in my mind. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's kind of two ways to think about it. Um, there's like financial value and there's like operational value, right? I mean, um, so on the financial side, you know, I've paid down debt, I've grown revenue, we've we've expanded profit margins, like all those things contribute to like financial value creation, right? Which hopefully like if I were to go and sell this business, I would get, you know, another turn of, of my SDE back, right? So if I, if I bought it for 2X, maybe I can sell it for 3X now, right? Okay. So like that's financial value. And that's kind of where like, that's where that FP&A type of mindset. So you're, from. you're talking about pricing at a multiple of SDE is seller discretionary uh, earnings, which mm -hmm. includes their salary, uh, the net profit, some things like if you have a Cadillac Escalade that you don't really need, you can add that back in, right? Okay. Maybe life insurance policies, maybe fewer board meetings in Honolulu. But <laughs> exactly. that's, I mean, for our listeners, uh, that's very fundamentally how businesses are valued. Some multiple times uh, earnings as defined, right? Okay, mm -hmm. so. Just wanted to clarify that for listeners. Yeah, 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 exactly. So if, if, if I bought it for, you know, $500,000 of SDE, and then I grow it to $750,000 of SDE, then you get a multiple on that additional 250K of SDE, right? And then let's say because you grew it that much, you get another turn of multiple of SDE. So you can, right, if you bought, bought it for two, now you sell it for three. So 750 times three, right is two point whatever two five million two two five yeah and you know if you bought if you bought it for two times 500k you bought it for a million you, you created 1.125 or 1.25 right. million right so this this is so huge for listeners because a lot of the vast majority don't even think about that right yeah. and so everybody knows that you need to work to get profit up and uh, we'll see, maybe that's a bit much for this, but how do you get the multiple up? You get bigger is one way, but there are other things, right? So you yeah, bought it for two and you want to sell it for four. Right. And if you, you double do. this SDE, it's eight times as, or yeah, it's eight, four times as much. Yeah, so yeah, and, and that's where like the kind of financial engineering and value creation can, right. can be, uh, you know, pulled in different ways. Uh, but then the second thing was like operational value creation. Um, and, you know, for me, like I, I walked into this business day one and it was like paper all over the place. There was no real processes. I mean, it was just like 
the whole thing was living in like the seller's head, right? I mean, he just he knew everything that was going on, but like as a, as a new person walking in, it's like, dude, how do you operate this thing? This is madness, you know. And so, you know, I was able to, you know, implement a new system that we use for, you know, tracking our basically all of our internal operations from purchasing to install management to internal documentation to lead funnel management. Um, so that has created a lot of like operational value, you know, in my mind, it made my life a lot easier. I, I'm able to track, you know, everything that's going on with the business from a beach in Florida. Um, and that wasn't able to be done before. So yeah. whether that's actually going to translate into financial, um, you know, value creation TBD, but from a value creation perspective as an operator, it's created a lot a tremendous amount of value for me. So you, let's dive a little bit deeper into that. That's your tech stack. And we've talked about this several times with li our listeners. Uh, I know that, and we'll go back to Twitter a little bit, but I know you've mentioned notion. Are you, is that what you're referring to for your tech stack is using notion? Yeah, exactly. Notion, a couple other things, but notion has become sort of like our central hub for all of our yeah. internal operations. And you know, you come from this background of even doing Salesforce, which is more enterprise than small bits. I mean, it does everything, but we'll just say for all intents and purposes, it's more enterprise level software. What, what was your decision to use Notion? And uh, what are some of those other tools you use? And how did you decide what your tech stack was going to be? Yeah, so I mean, I, um, so I, I had never even heard about Notion, but I, okay. um, so I, I was introduced to it sort of through a friend of a friend and i as soon as i saw it i was like wow this is really cool um and just kind of having that that crm type of background i kind of viewed it as a like salesforce light like to your point like yeah a, a small business like this one doesn't need um salesforce.com it's just too much and but notion kind of was a, a really good middle step between that and nothing and um so I, I just kind of reviewed it. I got, I kind of got my hands dirty with it and I just came to the conclusion that this is a really powerful tool for SMBs to, to leverage if done thoughtfully. Um, it's flexible, but robust enough to meet a lot of SMB use cases. And so I just went all in, I was like, this is, this is awesome. I'm going to just build in our entire internal operations on this platform. Um, so today, like our warehouse operations uses it, our front desk uses it for sales. I use it for my accounts payable and my accounts receivable. Um, and it really has transformed the way that this business has operated. Um, and it's, you know, very customized and, you know, it took time to build, but if you do it thoughtfully and you do it, um, creatively, um, the use cases for notion for SMBs, I've. I believe are vast and uh, it's an underutilized tool for a lot of SMBs. Yeah. I think the key phrase there is if done thoughtfully, uh, yes. I think notion is incredible. And especially with your background, it's like the perfect fit because you can manipulate it however you want to, to fit whatever process. And it's kind of that all in one tool almost. Yeah. Um, but if done thoughtfully, I think a lot of the a majority of the contractors out there that don't have a background in tech may find that they don't know how to do it thoughtfully, um, sure. where they may need a consultant. What are the other tools that you're integrating maybe with Notion or using outside of Notion? 
So we use a tool called RFMS. It's kind of like an ERP tool um, that we use for all of our inventory. It's, it's specific to retail flooring businesses. Um, okay. You know, so we use it for like all of our carpet inventory or, you know, LBT, wood inventory, stuff like that. Um, and then we've kind of gone heavier on using the Google, you know, suite for documentation yep. and, and whatnot. But really Notion has been the sort of key driver for change for the business. That's great. How do you uh, keep books? Does Notion do that? Or you use no, QuickBooks we, or some variant? Yeah, we use QuickBooks. So yeah, I, okay. I use QuickBooks and, um, but I use Notion's data to inform the entries that I make into QuickBooks. So like, yeah. you know, for a business like ours, we have a lot of accounts payable, a lot of accounts receivable. I kind of use Notion as like a way of tracking the cash flow of the business. And then, you know, we'll plug that in manually into, into QuickBooks to kind of get a more holistic view of my financials. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. We, we, we always talk about tech stacks and, um, I think in your case with your background and the flexibility of notion makes a ton of sense and it can make a lot of sense for a lot of contractors that have that background, but if not something a little more rigid will help you almost define your systems for you because you have to have a really good grip on your systems and your operations. And then you have to be able to actually implement it in a thoughtful way to where it scales without you. Cause in a sense, notion could also just become your mind, just like it was the business owner before you's mind that had all the details. Uh, but I, I know that you've de definitely done it in a thoughtful way with your background. Um, I want to go back to Twitter. So you found out about entrepreneurship through acquisition through Twitter, and you've also decided to kind of build in public. Uh, that's how I found out about you and, and invited you on here. How has building in public on Twitter you know, why did you do that? What was that decision like? And how has it shaped your journey uh, from corporate life to SMB so far? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I would say that uh, Twitter has, um, I mean, first of all, Twitter, I, 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 just, I got so much value out of hearing these guys' stories on Twitter that I wanted to contribute. I wanted to, you know, share my story as, um, you know, mundane as it might seem. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to contribute to the sort of SMB um, ecosystem, just share what's what I've done. Um, and through that, I've, I mean, I, I've gained a, a, a huge, um, you know, I, I've really grown my network by contributing to Twitter. Uh, I've met a lot of really smart people in real life. Um, I have, you know, made friends, I have, um, talk to people that have supported me through the transition. Um, I've talked to people that have like, you know, just given me a shoulder to cry on, you know, um, during some of the rough days. Um, so Twitter is, it's, it's just an awesome community of, you know, young hustlers that are out there making things happen that are, um, you know, creating wealth for their families, um, and doing it in a way that is, you know, I think for a lot of people, um, a little bit uh, um, unique, you know, I, most people don't think about buying a plumbing business as a way of like creating wealth, right? It's just not something that like we're taught. It's not something that, you know, we're, we're, we're taught when we go through school that you, you go to school so you don't become a plumber, right? <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and that you get away from these types of trades businesses. Um, so I think that you know, sharing my story, hopefully, um, 
give some people a data point to to look at and say, hey, like maybe, you know, maybe I shouldn't try to just go climb the corporate ladder for another 10 years. Maybe there is other opportunities out there um, that, I, that I never thought about before. So um, I, I should probably contribute more. I've been a little bit, uh, I haven't wrote, written as much lately, but, um, you know, I think that it's, it's a great way to meet people. It's a great way to um, expand other opportunities for yourself and also just um, uh, hopefully help some other people um, with, uh, with their decision making in their career. Yeah, I think the you mentioned the value of that network and it, it's so valuable. And I think oftentimes, and Martin's probably in this bunch, but there's a lot of people that think of Twitter and they're like, oh, people are, you know, just talking about politics or tweeting what they had for breakfast or whatever. But the reality is there is so much value and there's not just in the network, but also in the content that's available through SMB Twitter or real estate Twitter, or whatever. I mean, you can find so many different communities on there and it, it's really cool to see. Uh, yeah. So I think it's it's been great to, to follow your journey a little bit. I wanna go and talk about one of the tweets you had and you're probably not gonna remember this, or maybe you do. Uh, about a year ago, I wanna say, you talked about you were doing due diligence um, and it was pretty clear like, hey, there's the demand. Why don't we just hire more installers? And Martin and I were actually talking about this because we have a mutual client who's a uh, surfaces company. They do countertops. Um, they'll do some high-end, high-end floors, people that want to put quartz on their floor. Um, but yeah, they, uh, why, why, was that a bad, why is that a bad thought to just, oh, we'll hire more installers and then we'll just, we'll grow that way. Uh, I think we know the answer, but I want to, I'd love to hear your perspective. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a, um, it's a good question. Um, so I think, um, there's a couple unique things about my business that is worth calling out. The first is that it is in Northwest Colorado. So like it's geographically isolated. I don't exactly have like a pool of, you know, potential installers like I would if I lived in Denver. Right. So like just mm -hmm. growing like that is not going to be something that really fits the, the business model that I have. Um, and the, the, you know, the, the second thing is like my, you know, the, the installers are loyal to us and we need to be loyal to them. Um, yeah. they work really hard. We have a great installation team that have, that have been here for, you know, five plus years, some of them almost 10 years. And if I were to just, you know, give Johnny come lately the the big carpet job that should be going to the other guy that's been here for 10 years um that creates distrust it creates you know it, hey like maybe like if they're not loyal to me maybe i should go to the carpet shop down the street and give them my labor um so it's a it's a very delicate balance you have to strike with you know um, growing your business, but also not doing it to the detriment of the people that helped you get to where you are. So you have to, like I said, strike that balance. You have to make sure that you are, you know, feeding the guys that are doing a great job for you, that your growth is their growth. So kind of what's happened is, um, you know, now that we've grown the business where we, we have more jobs and we're, we're busier, um, you know, they're able to hire another helper so that instead of doing 120 yards per day of carpet, they can do 160, you know, um, instead of doing 
you know, 500 square feet of LVT in one day, they can now do 750. So, you know, and they make money off of that, right? So having our growth be their growth and having that sort of a symbiotic relationship continue to thrive. But they are uh, actually independent contractors? The installers are, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I mean. So do they work exclusively for you? Yeah, yeah, I mean, Every now and then they might go do something else, but no, they're basically 100% exclusive to us. And do you pay them on a on a set piece basis? So much a yard, so much a square foot, or yeah, we they basically they in essence up, bid to you. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, basically they you know they show up every morning. We give them a work order that outlines you know you're doing 120 yards of carpet, you know carpet removal, um, and, and then. You know, they go, they go to the job and they go do it. So that's a, that's sort of the for, for a fixed for a fixed per unit price, right? Not mm-hmm. just by the hour. Okay, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yep. There, yeah. We uh, you are in a unique market, and you know, I, I listened to your uh, your podcast that you did a few months ago on owned and operated with uh, John Wilson, and I think that. You know, I want to talk about the vision you have for for growing your company, but also just your vision for acquiring uh, acquiring businesses and being an entrepreneur. Because you are in a unique space. Uh, there's not necessarily going to be like this metropolitan boom inside of Steamboat uh, going forward, and that makes it difficult to grow a business in some sense because you're constrained by your market. What is the vision for your business businesses inside of uh, Northwest Colorado and? How do you plan on continuing to grow and acquire, uh, or you know, is it just kind of creating a really streamlined cash flowing business that is you know comfortable? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a good question, and I don't probably have the answer that I should for you. I mean, I would say that <laughs> that's okay. Um, I would say that you know, right now the focus is just to continue to you know make this as profitable of an endeavor as possible. Like right now. You know, I, I don't see us tripling our business, you know, in the next two years or whatever. Um, I mean, that that could change and there, there could be new opportunities that emerge. But I think that being sort of the preeminent flooring and, you know, countertop business in Steamboat Springs, Northwest Colorado, is a good enough endeavor for me right now. Um, I don't think that this is going to be something that scales to a level that where I'm like, you know, five X where I am right now. Um, and again, like that, yeah. that could change, but I just don't, I don't really see it that way. I see it potentially like, you know, make this thing as hum as best as, as it can and then go find something else that, you know, is adjacent to it or complementary to it and, you know, go execute on that as well. So, you know, it's, um, it's not really like, a a growth play where there's like, you know, where, where mm-hmm. the scalability is like more or less infinite. It's not, you know, and it's, uh, so really it's going to be, <clears throat> my vision is to just continue to have this be as good of a business as we can. And, um, and we, we have grown it. I mean, we've grown it about 30, 35% since I acquired it. So, you know, that's still healthy growth. And, um, but, uh, I don't, think that this is going to be something where I'm trying to like take over, you know, 
the entire western slope of Colorado, right? I'm not going to, like, move south right. to Grand Junction or to, like, Pueblo or something. Um, right. It's going to be something that probably remains geographically focused, execute on it really well, and then if there's other opportunities that are adjacent to it, then expand to theirs um, in the future. Yeah. And your market's interesting uh, because I would imagine – you know, there are locals that you are working for, but there's also a lot of vacation homes, things like that, that you're servicing. Yep. Um, what is it like? Well, what's the, what's the population that you're serving? I mean, um, so it says that Sunday Springs has like 13,000 full time, but that's full time. So during the winter time, that increases a lot, you know, during ski weekends and whatnot. So, you know, it's a ski town. It's a second hometown. So, yeah, I mean, to your point, Khalil, like it's okay. it's a it's like a it's a mix of locals and also, you know, wealthy second homeowners that, you know, have a ski condo here. <clears throat> yeah. And even, you know, property management companies or investors that have several properties for uh, rental. But I think, you know, as far as growing and you know acquiring new customers, how much of it is marketing versus business development relationships that you have with the locals that are there? Um, what is your strategy for acquiring new business that isn't already serviced, hasn't, hasn't already been serviced uh, by previous owners? Yeah, I mean, um, so it, it's a mix of developing relationships with property managers, with realtors, with other contractors who are, you know, doing new builds or who are, you know, remodeling. Um, so we have a really great network of other contractors that we work closely with. You know, they may be doing the, the you know, whatever, the, the cabinets and the, the, mm -hmm. um, the painting or whatever. And then they come and contract us to do the, the flooring and the, you know, the countertops. So we have a great network of contractors, great network of property managers, realtors. Um, and, and then from the retail side, you know, we, it, it's funny, like Steamboat Springs is, it, it's kind of like a sort of like an idyllic you know, like Hallmark Christmas town, if you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's kind of funny how like old school it is. Like we, we have like a local paper that like everyone reads, you know, it's called the Steamboat Pilot. Yeah. Like we advertise in there. We do like local radio spots. We, we, we like sponsor the, the rodeo. Like there's a big rodeo circuit that comes into town here. So it's like, it's, it's a very interesting culture in the sense that it's like a very small town and people still view it that way but it has a lot of affluence and money. Um, so, you know, we, we, we contribute to those small town types of things and support the local community in that way. And, um, and so it's, 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 it's funny, like just through those things, we get enough, you know, retail leads that I don't feel the need to go out and market more, you know, like we actually yeah. do pretty light marketing, but we still manage to stay really busy. Yeah. And I saw one of your tweets that you got scammed on a advertisement. Is that right? Yeah. Tell us that story. Oh man. Bring up, <laughs> bring it up a bitter, uh, bitter yeah. <laughs> um, lesson. Yeah, no. So, I mean like, you know, someone, and, and this is like for, for being in a small town, like you just, you get these calls and you think that people are, you, you assume that everyone is, you know, genuine and has your best interest right. at heart. So like, Someone called, they're like, hey, we're working with, you know, Steamboat High School. We're, you know, we were, we're doing t-shirts for, um, you know, the football team. 
are you interested in supporting? And so it's like, ah, yeah, what? Sure, that's fine. Five hundred bucks, yeah. whatever. And so you know, I give them five hundred bucks, and like, I follow up. I, I, I just figured it happened, right? I didn't even think about it. And then you know, I've followed up with that for every reason, and then I found out like, there's nothing here. Like there, there never was. Never heard of them. And um, I, I, and that happened twice. They're like, it actually. Like I, it must have been the same company, but they're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're <laughs> same scammers. Yeah, we're we're advertising in the uh, the local um, at the, at the local golf club. It's, you know, it's like a public course. They're like, yeah, we're, we're advertising a Steamboat Golf Club. We're you know we got a, a advertisement you know on the ninth hole you know scorecard or whatever. And uh, are you interested? I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. And so I did it, and like again, like total scam. So, I mean, okay, so we can agree you're not going to do that a third time, right? That's, that's right. I've learned my lesson. So it, it, it sucks because like I, I want I want to be trusting and I want to like support the local right. community, you know, and I want yeah. to like give money to good causes. Like I like I said, like I do advertise with the rodeo, and like I go to the rodeo and I see my poster there, and they like shout out yeah. affordable flooring warehouse, you know, so. Yeah. Like it worked for me prior to that, but like it just sucks that like those things are out there. So definitely hey, if, be, if, be careful with local advertising. If I can jump back just a little bit, I mean, kind of summarizing, you have two, two views of your business of financial that you're doing. You've already done an acquisition and in the operations. Uh, I asked earlier, is how did your financial experience translate into operations from day to day? And you said, pretty rough and you said you mentioned specifically sales can you what else uh did you go in and say wow that's not what i or i wasn't aware of this i mean culture types what what kind of other things uh jumped up in operations i mean man managing subs i mean that that's just tough you know um kind of like to your point earlier about like how people normally come up in these types of businesses like they they start off as like an installer or whatever and then they kind of grow into the role like i i didn't do that <clears throat> i've i've laid floors once in my life like just at my at my condo you know so like i i, I don't come from that world i don't come from that background and you know you're managing people that do obviously and so you know it's it, it, that was choppy for sure to like they kind of looked at me sideways as if I'm, I'm just like, you know, some corporate stooge who's coming in here to like, you know, um, you know, extract money out of them basically. And you just have to like earn their trust earn their respect. You know, I, you know, I'm out there like, you know, literally I'm going to go do eight carpet measures today and flooring measures. Right. And so I'm out there, you know, looking at the job sites, doing the bids, you know, um, and, and just like, you know, getting to know the guys and, and know their families and ask them about their lives. And, you know, that was kind of how I approached it was with humility um, and just respect for what they do. So, but, but, but again, like that's, that was a uncomfortable sort of transition going from very professional, you know, polished people at Deloitte to the blue collar trades is a, is a, is a big transition. But, um, <clears throat> what I've come to, what, what I've always known and respected is that, you know, these people work really hard and they're like the backbone of our economy and our society. And they're the ones like out there, 
hanging your drywall. They're out. They're the ones out there installing your carpet. And even though we think about them as, um, you know, some people, I, I, I should say, think about them as, you know, as, as, a, as a not, you know, respectable um, profession. Like it, it's just not true. Like these people are working hard. They're creating value. They're doing well for their families and their, um, you know, their communities and. They deserve all of our respect and uh, admiration, probably more so than our corporate overlords, you know? <laughs> well said. Man, yeah, yeah, very well said. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, again, going back, man, you, you talked about working with SBA, you know, and acquiring through some debt, not having to put up all your money. Let's walk through that. Uh, during COVID, there were some special things going on with the SBA uh, special programs. Is that something that you utilized? Uh, what is that process working like with the SBA? Let's just kind of go through that, that story. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so the SBA was providing like loan, um, assistance. So for like during the pandemic, it was like basically, you know, SBA debt demand, like, like everything else fell off a cliff. And so, um, they tried to, you know, st stimulate demand as partly the stimulus packages by, you know, writing off like $30,000 of, of, uh, you know, your first six months payments, something like that. Um, and, um, and, uh, waiving like their origination fees. So in, in order to like get an SBA loan, you normally have to get an, pay a decent origination fee, but they waive that. So the timing from my perspective, like couldn't have been better, you know, like, <laughs> couldn't was, have been better. Yeah. So like I, uh, you know, I got a, a huge, like for, for the first, you know, six months or maybe it's three months. Um, I got, you know, loan relief, waived origination fee, um, interest rates were low. Um, and, and also just like the, the seller was like burned out and he just, he just wanted to get out, you know? So, um, it was just like a confluence of events that made the timing really great. And at the same time, of course, like, you know, everyone's staying at home, people are moving up to the mountains, they're buying second homes because they want to get out of the city. Um, so it just like, it, it was a great tailwind to like get myself immersed in this world. And um, so yeah, the SBA was a really great way for me to go. Um, they lowered the, the, the requirements to like 10% down. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was awesome. And, uh, you know, did me, the uh, seller finance any of it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He okay. financed 10% of the purchase price. 10%. Okay. Yep. But he got a cash payment for the balance of the purchase price. Yep. So I, I, like, I'm still paying him a monthly, you know, um, payment for the remaining amount that he financed. And if it's, Confidential, don't say, but I think you already did. What kind of multiple? How did you arrive at the price? Like two, two um, times? SD yeah, so basically, or? when I underwrote it, you know, I, I underwrote it fairly conservatively. Um, so I underwrote it to like 2.7 times SDE. Um, and now that that's played out, you know, it's been a little bit lower than that um, for, you know, the last year and a half of run rate. So it's, you know, kind of sitting at like that a little bit less Be, because the SDE was higher than you thought. Yeah, is that yeah. how it winds so up being low? SDE, we're able to, um, yeah. Well, this is a little bit in the weeds, but what did you get? Did you get all the inventory? 
Uh, did you get accounts receivables? Uh, seller kept the payables? I mean, what did you get when you bought it? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, <clears throat> working capital is probably the stickiest part of a transition and a negotiation. <clears throat> so I, I paid for um, the inventory and that was about it. Um, so he, we, we basically did a clean cut. We did an asset sale. Basically anything that was accounts receivable, accounts payable was his. Um, and then I was able to get cash from the SBA. So like on the, from day one, I had a, a decent amount of cash on the, yeah. on the balance sheet and then the inventory. So I was able to like use that to generate cash day one. So yeah, um, I, I, we didn't do like a, we basically did a, a, a split day one of, of the uh, working capital. Just for listeners too, you, you said you did an asset purchase uh, as opposed to like buying the company, the stock. Could you say a little bit what that is just real quickly? Yeah, so there's purchase. two ways to do these deals. You can do an asset sale or you can do a stock sale. Um, an asset sale is basically, I'm buying the assets of the business and none of the liabilities. I don't, I am not responsible for anything that may or may not have happened in the past. I'm starting a whole new company. So basically like I'm buying your forklift, I'm buying your inventory, I'm buying your, you know, Name. every, yeah, yeah, your, your yeah. goodwill. Yeah. I'm buying your, um, you know, uh, your inventory and I'm starting a new company. And then, so that that's an asset sale. So it's basically like you're dissolving your company. I'm starting a new company. I'm buying all of your assets and we're moving forward. Um, that's the cleanest way to do it. That's typically how these small business deals are done. Um, and then there's a stock sale, which is basically like I'm buying, you know, whatever, 50% of your business via stock. Like if you were to buy a share of Apple, right? Um, and that's actually how I did the, the Granite House deal was a stock sale. So uh, we, we did not start a new business. I bought 50% interest in that business and um, we did it as a stock sale. And what's the vision for Granite House for yourself? Is it to remain 50%? Do you have plans later on to, to acquire the entire business? What does that look like? Yeah, I mean, right now it's, you know, keep it at 50% just operate it so it's a little bit tricky like the 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 part the partner that i'm that i own it with is a manager at affordable flooring so um he's he's a key part of both businesses so really it's like uh he he's we we view affordable flooring as sort of like the crown jewel and you know he's he's works in that um and so right now it's we're just going to keep it 50 50 and um, cool. have it be a sort of a complimentary piece to what we do at Affordable Flooring. Very interesting. You get to be on both sides of like solo, you know, 100% owner and a partnership, um, yeah. which are very, yeah. very different. But you also, it's a little bit more interesting because the partner also works for you as a manager. Hey, real the, quickly, did, did yeah. your manager already have a Granite House and you bought half or did you buy it and he wound up with half of it? You know, as a yeah, he he already had it, yeah. So okay, okay. So this this is actually even trickier. So the the seller, so the guy I bought affordable flooring from, his son worked at affordable flooring for about nine months, and he owned half of Granite House, and so that's who I bought out at Granite House. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, wow, yeah, so man. Family, family businesses. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, 50% <laughs> partners too. Wow. Yeah, very interesting. Well, I also I want to get a little bit into your mindset of as far as like the KPIs that you're focused on day to day because I have a feeling that they're probably maybe similar but probably different than what most contractors would focus on day to day just because of your background and because of the way that you've entered into this business. What are the things that you're really focused on day to day as the owner of your business? I mean, I, I have it, it's pretty simple, honestly. Like I just have like a sort of like a financial model that I use. It's like, it's sales growth, it's it's SDE, basically, you know, EBITDA. Um, it's my debt multiple. So like, how am I, how am I tracking against my, you know, my, <clears throat> the, the debt obligations that I have for the business against the cash flow that's being generated. So it's, it's really like, it's SDE, it's um, my balance sheet. So like, you know, how, how, how is working capital looking? Cause there's a lot of working capital in this business between inventory and accounts payable and accounts receivable and cash and everything. So it's, it, it comes down to working capital, SDE and sales at the end of the day. Um, and through those three metrics, I calculate my value creation. So like, you know, I basically, I assume that I can sell this business for two and a half times SDE, which is conservative. I think it might be able to get more. Um, so I basically say, okay, how am I creating value over time? So I, I take that, my SDE times my multiple gives me my enterprise value. Then I look at my net debt, which is my long-term liabilities of my SBA loan and my seller note loan minus my net working capital. So that's basically like, here's the net debt that I have in the business. And then that, that gets me to my um, equity value. And basically what I want to see is equity value grow over time. And, and then sales. So how am I growing sales from last year, from 2019, from 2018? And um, at the end of the day, like those three things are the bottom line things that I care about. And um, operationally, you know, we have we want to make sure we're generating enough leads. We want to make sure we have enough carpet jobs, LVT jobs, wood jobs to keep the guys busy. So I have like kind of like a backlog of work to make sure that we've got like a steady amount of work that we're looking at. And um, that's that's more of an art than a science. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's, it's all about growing equity value for me. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I'm mightily impressed. Uh, the KPIs that you laid out where you're paying attention to value and cash flow and things like that. I just happen to know that many of our listeners, and, and I mean this with love in my heart, but don't even know what that is. <laughs> and, and that's why I'm asking you to define, you know, uh, SMB, by the way, small, medium business, right? I don't know if we said that, but, uh, your experience and your articulate and, uh, I think it's wonderful for people to hear that because yeah, because that value can be just because of a multiple can be so much greater than what you're looking at as profit, right? Profit's just one of the factors in a multiplication problem. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, anyway, you're just nailing it right down the line. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. Well, I mean, so so many of the contractors out there are still focused on the sales revenue rather than oh. the profit. You know, they're they're just focused on that top line. They're yeah. you know, bidding with bad margins or even at a discount, and just trying to grow no that margins. top line rather than even 
thinking about what their multiple is or you know what their what their margins are or anything like that i think while they may have a better grip on the day-to-day operations things at, at, at certain levels of being able to go measure the jobs and knowing how to tell the guy delegate certain tasks and stuff like that you're absolutely miles ahead of a lot of people and differentiated in that regard on the the operate the the financial operations and um, the long-term view of the business you know something that you mentioned earlier was managing your employees and and your also your subs what is what are the challenges that you didn't expect coming into the business as far as having a culture and you know managing people and being able to invest in them as people as well not just employees or another number on the balance sheet you know what is that what is that like for you um yeah i mean during the transition it was it's hard because you know when you buy a company you're not just buying cash flow you're not just buying the forklift and blah 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 you're buying a culture you know and the the seller that i that i bought it from i mean you know he did an amazing job growing the business and building it into what it is um but you know he was a um <laughs> you know again like what like you said martin i have love in my heart for him but you know he was a kind of a surly you know grumpy kind of guy you know he was unhealthy he had a lot of health problems the last couple of years i mean he was dealing with some, with a lot of stuff um which caused this the business and the sort of the vibe of the business to be not great at times you know um very very uh, frenetic very um disorganized at times um so walking into that sort of environment was extremely trying um so you kind of have to bring your own leadership and style and house style to the table you know um, and over time, slowly turn the ship around into a better, hopefully more positive direction. So, um, you know, I just tried to be myself. I tried to, um, you know, listen to people, understand where they're coming from, understand where, you know, how this business was built from the ground up. So those first few months, I was very just, I was in learning mode. I wanted to learn how this business got to where it is today. And then once I sort of wrap my head around that, okay, like that all makes sense. And I, I respect the the past and what what it took to get here, but we're now moving in this direction. And I want you to come with me on that direction. Um, so, you know, I would say that it was a, and it's still something that we, that we struggle with, but um, it's something that you have to be um, very, um, empathetic to change is really hard for people it was the hard it was the hardest thing that i experienced in my consulting world people do not like change you bring a new technology to the table you bring a new way of doing things to the table they don't like it it's just the way it is um so change management requires a lot of empathy requires a lot of respect of that person's background and where they come from and like their perspective on things um but you then have to you know help them along handhold them here's why we're implementing notion here's why it makes sense here's why this is an important thing for the business i know you don't like it right now but just please trust me that i think this is going to be a positive thing for the business and i think it's obvious why you uh you're succeeding at it <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> right, go ahead 
Yeah, I mean, so it's it's just a it's a hard it's a hard thing to do, but um, if you do it with empathy, kindness, and respect, then people usually come around. If yeah. if you're if you're truly delivering value, if you're an idiot and you're implementing changes for no reason and you're to the detriment of the business, then you probably deserve to be called out. But um, if you're actually doing a good job and doing your job right, then um, people will eventually see the merits of what you're talking about. Yeah. We're, uh, we're big fans of uh, Two Second Lean by Paul Akers. Uh, not sure if you've heard of that book, Lean Manufacturing. Yeah. Really great. I think, you would, I think you'd absolutely love it. Um, but you, you had mentioned introducing change to employees. Are there any changes that you, you know, you talked about empathy that you learned from employees and asked them what they thought might be better to be able to improve the business? And how did you approach that? What are some of the things that you might have changed that the previous owner wasn't willing to, but you are willing to as you listen to employees? Yeah, I mean, I think like, um, yeah, I mean, when we were doing like our system, like our notion implementation, right? Like, hey, like, tell me why the business was done this way. Does that make sense mm-hmm. to you? Do you think like, was this, you know, something that was inerrant? Um, and, you know, a lot of people, like my warehouse guys, they'd be like, I never really understood why this was done this way. Um, so here's here's how I think it should go, you know? And you're like, okay, cool, let's do that. Let's implement that. That makes sense to me. I understand your reason why you would be wrong. So, you know, soliciting people's feedback and, and honestly, just like getting to like the, bare nuts and bolts of like how the business works, right? So like, let's take a step back. Let's let's like cut out all the madness for a second. Tell me how we should be receiving product in the warehouse, right? And then just step-by-step step do it, you know, literally put it in a flow chart. Like that's that's a consulting consultant in me. <laughs> um, but, yeah. you know, like um, just get to the base brass tacks of how like a simple process should work align on it, then go implement it in a thoughtful technology, you know? So that's, uh, yeah. that's kind of how I approached it. And, um, when you do that, when you kind of like take a step back from the craziness of the day to day and just solicit basic questions, you get a lot of illuminating answers. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, bef- before we wrap up here, I I'd love to, you know, you're building in public, you're, you're actively growing and changing your business probably on a daily basis. What are the things that are coming up for you, Chris? What, what do you see happening the rest of this year? What are some areas of focus you have? Oh man. Um, honestly, I want to, I need to like, uh, okay. Area of focus is hiring. I, I, I need help. Um, and that's something that I've struggled with, you know, just now that I've kind of wrapped my head around this thing and I'm, operating it in the weeds. I need, I need help to like be able to take a step back. I, I just had a, my first kid. Um, so oh, congrats. Yeah. Thanks. So, um, you know, I, hey, wanna... I, I saw your tweet on that and you said some acquisitions are free <laughs> and I, I had to laugh. I said, that isn't free. It's going to cost you for a long time. But <laughs> I, worth got, it. I got called out on that one pretty quick. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so you know, I, I want to be able to just uh, have a little bit more free time and not be quite yeah. so stretched thin. So, hopefully, you know, stabilize things a little bit, take a step back um, from the business day to day by hiring. I, I have to focus. Is on it hiring. hiring a manager? What roles are you hiring? 
Yeah, I mean, like a manager, you know, general manager or an operations manager type of role. So um, okay. that's something that I, I, I need because, um, you know, right now our managerial bench is a little thin. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and we, we always talk about working on the business and not in it. And I'm sure that uh, yeah. you've been surprised by how much you've had to work in it uh, exactly. since you acquired. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so working right. on hiring. Yeah, yeah, that that that's that's a focus. I have to be able to. I have to get better at delegating. I have to get better at you know, um, training and finding uh, more managers. So that's 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 the focus. And my my wife will be very happy to hear my answer there. <laughs> yes, yes, she will absolutely. Uh, along those lines, you know, hiring and I think it's a it's a busy time. It's been a busy time for a lot of contractors, uh, but as the climate changes in the markets. Uh, you know, we're talk- there's a lot of talk about housing recession. Where are your views on that? How do you see it impacting you and Steamboat? It's hard to say. Um, I think that, you know, sort of the mantra of recession here in Steamboat is that Steamboat's always hit a year late. Um, so if there is a recession, yeah. we're kind of shielded from the initial um, stages of it for about a year until it really hits us. So I'm hoping that that's true. Um, Steamboat. I mean, like already the, the, the data is coming in, like housing sales are down 30% from last year. You know, um, I think that, you know, the, the rising, you know, the, the rising of interest rates are already having, you know, pretty strong nice. effects on the, on the housing market. But um, that said, like, I still think that we've got a couple of years of runway to stay busy and, yeah. to, you know, continue to, to um, you know, do quite a bit of work. Um, so it's hard, it's hard for me to say, um, but I think that, um, I'm hopeful that we can quote unquote, have a little bit of a soft landing, but, uh, we'll see. It's, it's really, it's really hard for me to forecast, but right now it's clearly showing up in the data and, uh, I'm hopeful that we can, um, ride it out as best we can for at least another year or two. Well, Chris, this has been an awesome conversation, uh, just a different pr- approach and a different perspective to a lot of things that we talk about frequently on this podcast, everything from how you acquire customers, how you started your business, how you're growing your business, the things that you're tracking on a day-to-day basis. Uh, really appreciate your insight, your willingness to be open and transparent about so much of your business. And I'm excited to see uh, you grow. Where can people find you? Uh, Twitter uh, is a big one. And, uh, yeah, you have a, a holding company. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Reach out to me on Twitter. Um, my handle is Toph, T-O-P-H underscore Edwards. Okay. And, um, we'll put that also, in the show notes. And my email, if, uh, I'm happy to talk to any listeners and, you know, give my perspective or, or help out however I can. Um, uh, my email is chris at sanitasequity.com, S-A-N-I-T-A-S equity.com. Awesome. Chris, thanks for being on. Uh, excited for, for your journey. Congrats on being a dad. And uh, yeah, I hope that you're able to find somebody there in the last part of this year. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys. I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. yeah. See ya. Hey, Cashflow Contractors. Hope that you enjoyed that episode with Chris Edwards. Thank you so much, Chris, for being on. An incredible perspective for our listeners to understand the other side of being a contractor, the finance side at a very high level. Uh, obviously, really cool to see how he thinks about his business, and I hope that it's transforming the way that you think about your business. 
and hopefully will allow you to be a contractor that has less stress, more time, and more money in a, in a real feasible way. Uh, go check out Chris on Twitter. We've got his stuff in the show notes. And again, share with your peers, anybody in the industry, and follow us on social media. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you soon.